this is Tara Karp, the founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. I'm super excited about today's subject. Today, we are going to talk about the CSA KPMG Control Systems Cybersecurity Report. And I have a special guest. KPMG, which you recognize are in the title sponsor of the report, KPMG and a, a team of members around the world have been integral to how this was done. They work with CSA at all levels to produce this report from conception uh, to, to the final uh, making of the report and, and, and producing it. And we would not have been able to do it without their support. You know, we're thankful for some other supporters, Airbus Cybersecurity, Palo Alto Networks, Fortinet, and Waterfall Security. They joined forces with us and really helped make this into what it is. Now, we pulled our 16,000 at the time members, are now roughly closer to 19,000, but we also cast the data out of the industry. And we got a really nice diversity, and we can talk about some of those points later, but we got respondents from all over the globe, from different industries, and different parts of even the same companies, levels of management and non-management. So giving us perspective with one goal in mind, making this into a decision support tool, and being able to release this annually, and give people benchmarking, give people data they can compare, they can see what other people are doing and how they're prioritizing the limited resources that still a lot of us are facing. We hope we've achieved that this year. We're going to be comparing year-on-year data now going forward and looking for longitudinal changes, and we really hope this becomes a tool that people can really rely on making annual decisions around. I kind of already indicated there is some interesting data around people's awareness. You know, Some of the early questions are, how aware are you of, of the, the risk in your enterprise? And people self-admittedly, many respondents self-admitted that that awareness of where the risks are uh, is not as high as it should be. And there were a number of executives that said knowing where the actual risks are. And so not surprisingly, having risk assessments done was very highly rated. It was one of the all other responses as far as importance by 20 points. So we know that many respondents, if not you know the vast majority, feel like just figuring out where the situation is, is a difficult task. I think you guys see that in the field all the time, don't you? When you look at the priorities from the different points of view of the organizations, you're going to see differences basically because the way executives see priorities are basically different from the priorities that are seen from the ground floor, from the shop floor, for example. So typically from a higher level, I mean, from an executive level, you're more likely to see concerns regarding uh, the risk the organization is exposed to, while at the lower levels, you're typically going to see more technical concerns about, for example, uh, the levels of sensitivity, uh, monitoring, and more technical stuff. So actually, if you see the results of the survey and what we actually see in the shop flow and we go to clients, uh, it makes sense to see this kind of dispersion in the type of concern you see in reality. Yeah, I, I think that that bears out of my own uh, observations in the marketplace. The survey kind of confirmed that uh, the viewpoints on on things are not the same. And I think I hope that this report serves as very shines some light on that corner of the problem. If we see things differently, even in the same organization, that's a room for error in a sense. We have to somehow find common ground and being able to look where we've only got so many dollars, we've only got so many people. Where are we going to spend it? How are we going to you know determine what is uh, what is most important? We've got to work together on that, and there are different views to be had, uh, you know, in the marketplace, and this confirm, confirms that. I was surprised. I don't know about you. I was surprised to see, you know, knowing that there are more and more cloud, cloud integration, cloud penetration, whatever you want to call it, pipes to the outside world, being able to get in, connect to a turbine and, and attenuate it or adjust it. That sort of stuff is starting to emerge to keep it under warranty. You know, the manufacturer wants to have a connection to it. But the respondents rated cloud security very, very lowly, you know, very low as a concern. Did that surprise you? 
It actually didn't, because uh, although everybody speaks about doing the IoT and you know connecting sensors and, and appliances to, to the to the cloud, what we see in our clients is that the journey from traditional OT to IoT is a very gradual journey. As you go through that journey, there are more like basic concerns that have to be addressed. And definitely cloud is not the first you the one you address. You have like more basic needs to be addressed such as, for example, network segmentation and obsolescency and having a basic monitoring capability, some basic monitoring tool, and some other even more basic stuff, such as, for example, having a security policy for industrial cybersecurity, setting up a security team. So if I see the results of it, I'm not really surprised. Uh, on the other hand, the reality is uh, cloud vendors, at least the well-known the well one, are very, much, very secure. They're more secure than your own data center. So when I look at that, it looks surprising at first, but then you go after the examples and the clients we see in the day-to-day, -day, and it's not really that surprising at all. It makes a lot of sense to me, actually. You know, that does bring another thing to mind, which is kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you're working on the primal needs, you might not be working on the, the more exotic needs. And I think the report also shines light on that, that there's so many fundamental things, uh, one of which we're going to talk about next, human being problems, that focusing on, you know, the most emergent, newest area, you know, of risk, you know, is, is probably going to be uh, going to be lower just as a consequence of we can't do it all, right? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I like the metaphor. It, it's exactly as you said. If you have problems in the lower part of the pyramid, you're not likely to, you know, see problems in the upper part of the pyramid. You have to resolve the more basic needs first after you go to the more ambitious ones, definitely. Well, let's talk about the biggest problem. And I know... Uh, You'll have a perspective on it. Uh, so you say as a workforce development, uh, you know, not-for-profit organization, it's kind of the reason we exist. We have a big workforce problem. The report certainly confirmed that. You know, in fact, uh, nearly 60% of the respondents said that the greatest obstacle to resolving uh, security and, you know, issues in this space, you know, a particular slice of their company, was insufficient expertise. And we know that's, you know, that's hard to come by. We need to talk about, of course, whether people are prioritizing fixing that problem, the same across industries and parts of companies. But it, it was common across all geographies, across all industries. We don't have enough people. Certainly be seeing that in lots of different ways uh, in, around the world as well. Yeah, makes a lot of sense, actually. If you look at the cybersecurity market, don't yet mean the OT cybersecurity, but just cybersecurity, you'll see we have a huge lack of resources. It's very difficult to have talented professionals in cyber, and if we combine that with industrial expertise, OT expertise, and cybersecurity, it's even a more trickier and more hard problem. So it's difficult today to find in the market, I mean, to hire directly people that have both cybersecurity and OT cybersecurity. I mean, you have them, but a very few, and people are actually fighting for them. So definitely, you may have the best, the best security, the best monitoring tool, you can have perfect network segmentation, but you definitely need people to staff your OT cybersecurity department. Uh, you don't have it. What we are doing, firms like, like ours, like KPMG, we're trying to form those people by taking people either from industry or from cybersecurity and give them the skills they don't have. The interesting thing, which relates to other points in the service, that companies are not really investing or they're not really prioritizing training while they, maybe they should do. What they are doing is basically translating some of the problem with a uh, the lack of people in cybersecurity OT space to consultant firms, but they definitely, I think, should prioritize the training of those people because you may have the best technology, but if you don't have the people, you're not going to leverage that investment in technology as well. You know, I agree with you, and I was shocked 
I mean, a major takeaway of the report was high, you know, 60, almost 60 percent of respondents saying people is our biggest problem, finding qualified people. But in the list of things where they're spending money, prioritization of spending money, which we thought was really important to correlate those two, some of the training statistics were low, where they were on the lower part of the list. Do you have a perspective on why on earth those two don't match up? Well, I think uh, that many of these companies that are not really investing, what they're trying to do is to translate that issue to consultant firms. What it basically, what it does is, as I said, is translating the issue because you may ask for consultant firm to provide the resources you need, but we as consultant firms have that issue. So we have to do the investment that some companies are not doing. But there's an important point here I would like to point out that despite having the best partners to help you, I mean, consultant firms, outsourcing firms, whatever, you have to have your own OT cybersecurity people inside. So my suggestion to companies that are investing in cybersecurity is not only invest in the tools, not only invest in great consultant firms that can help you, but also invest in having your own resources because they are going to be the ones that not only know about OT cybersecurity, but know about your own infrastructure, which is typically very much unique. I agree with that. I think that that evidence uh, prior to even this report, this this concept of uh, of developing enough, you know, each company will have to decide where enough is, but enough in-house talent that really is intimate with the experience. You described you know, early on people who know cybersecurity and who know operating technology. And I've always, you know, I'm not the only one. I don't think I coined this at all, but I just, I like it that to find the unicorns, right? They're rare so to have true expertise in both domains. But there is this ongoing process that, that you guys are investing in, and as others are as well, of taking people from at least one of those disciplines and adding the stuff they don't need. And I think that's that's essential. Look within your organizations for those champions or those people that might be in one of those uh, spheres. And what can you add to them or you know, tr- how can you give them more training to make them evolve them to, to some of these uh, broader individuals that we do so desperately need? One thing we also wanted to measure with the report was we, you know, we wanted to do as much correlation as we could. So we asked for people to kind of, if they knew what their security maturity uh, model level was, one through five, to share that or you know to self-assess where they thought they were if they didn't know for sure. And so people rated themselves on a scale of one to five. There's definitely a threat. Then we could go back and look and say, how did people who rated themselves one and two, low level maturity, answer certain questions? And how did that compare to people who rated themselves a four or a five? Did they answer some of these questions differently? And we, in fact, know that they, you know, they did. There were some ahas there. What do you think about, you know, any of that, that area of the report? I, I think it's fascinating. I'm looking at a couple of the statistics right now. There's an interesting thing that when you have low maturity, and this goes back to the first studies in organizational maturity, you know, organizational maturity was born in the quality field and then moved into the software field and into the cybersecurity field. What characterizes an enterprise with low maturity is the lack of the ability to see itself accurately. So you have low maturity, you tend to be optimistic. I worked for a number of years on maturity with different maturity levels. And when I assess level one companies in different fields, not only cybersecurity, they typically are very optimistic about real maturity. So they need someone else to kind of open their eyes to their real maturity. We have uh, some fun stories about approaching companies and speaking with the people in automation saying, we are not really mature, but we don't, really don't know how much messed we are. And we feel secure because no one knows. That's the concept of security by obscurity, which used to be very common in IT science 15 years ago. But it's definitely something we still see in OT. And it's changing, of course. Luckily, it's changing. But we still see that. So in, in terms of maturity, what you have is what I just mentioned. If you don't have the maturity, you're likely not 
having the capability to see how mess you may be or how much you may be. Does it make sense to you there? The trained people and the processes and the procedures of a highly mature, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're probably more likely to be able to do all the measurements and know. And if you are very, very immature, you know, even knowing where you, even knowing how immature you are is a challenge. That, that does make sense. There were two findings that were such a different percentage between how a high level and low level answered. And I thought I would bring these two up and see what you thought. So the of the organizations that reported themselves as a four or five, very mature, they 47% of them versus 6% of the self-reported immature organizations were using managed services. And 53% of the highly mature rated uh, individuals versus the lower, 53% versus 16% are monitoring their control networks and looking actively monitoring them. And so does that anything in there surprise you or does that, check, does that just track and make sense? No, 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 no. It actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, you see, to use cybersecurity money services in either space, you need some level of maturity. I mean, to hire money service you have to have some governance structure in place. If you don't have some governance structure, you can't just outsource anything. So to use money services, you need a certain level of maturity. On the other hand, I just mentioned that companies that are very immature sometimes tend to resort to security by obscurity. So they are kind of scared to go outsource some of their security functions because they know they are immature and they don't want others to understand how immature they are because they are afraid. They are still resorting, as I mentioned, to security by obscurity. So when I see results, I'm not surprised at all. It actually makes a lot of sense. And what about the monitoring? Have you been seeing in the last few years a steady increase to uh, monitoring? Like three or four, five years ago, nobody's monitoring these networks at yes. all. So if yes, you say yes, 3% of the fours and fives said we're monitoring. Yes, yes. Makes a lot of sense. You know, Typically, when a company starts the journey to maturity, they typically approach this into complementary and parallel ways. They start building the top-down infrastructure, which means uh, basically setting up a policy, governance, a group responsible for cybersecurity in OT. They start redesigning the networks. That's kind of the top-down way of approaching it. But in parallel, there's some model map measures to understand what is happening in the OT network. So basically, as companies are maturing, they start to implement monitoring because they not only want to build a perfect situation with network redesign and building a group in charge of cybersecurity, but they also want to understand what is happening in the network. It's kind of a top-down, bottom-up. So it definitely makes makes sense to me seeing these results. Uh, it's actually very much what I see actually in my clients. Well, the number one are actually two reasons that the highly rated organization said they're using managed services is they said financial savings and lack of skilled personnel back to the human being problem. So it makes sense. I'm gonna reach out to someone else because we don't have enough people here to do it. So I like your comments on how immature organizations, even being immature makes it hard to outsource. And that's what a, what a terrible, terrible spot to be in uh, that you can't even, you're not even really equipped to ask for the helping hand sometimes, but you need, you're gonna need somebody probably to come in and, and give you a, a leg up or a, a lift out of the situation you're in. Let's talk about some KPIs. So we asked people what their kind of key performance indicators were. You know, we use that term. There are other terms out there, but measurement, uh, you know, any kind of benchmarks, numbers they track, that they try to keep track of. And it was interesting that reducing operational disruptions was a very commonly chosen. In fact, 64% of respondents said that was very important and that they were going to be measured against that. You know, we looked at that and you can interpret that in different ways. You could say incidents, actual cybersecurity incidents, you know, that caused disruptions need to be reduced. That makes sense. But I also, I also wondered whether it was 
us as security people, some of the, you know, the respondents saying we're doing security operations, we need to make sure those don't induce interruptions in and of themselves. It's not always a threat adversary, right? It can be internally produced disruptions are also not good. I mean, they can be the same consequence, right? Okay. I thought that was an interesting stat. Yes, you bring a very interesting point. It actually makes a lot of sense. When I look at my clients, most of them are starting their OT security journey either for two things, uh, or they have an incident that affected their production or their, their uh, operational mechanisms, or they have you know, some neighbor, some company in uh, the same industry or some other industry that is similar to them having a disruption and saying, hey, I don't want that to happen to me. But you brought a very interesting point. We saw some companies going a bit cheap on their cybersecurity scanning efforts and trying to use the same approach they use for IT for their OT networks. And then you can't approach straightforward manner. There are different things, different kind of devices. So uh, some companies actually try to use the same scanning and pen testing and VA mechanisms over their OT network and cause trouble. That basically causes two problems. The first problem is, of course, you're disrupting the operation. The second problem is you're making people, you're making your sponsors skeptic on this because they're going to say, hey, I brought the cyber people to the OT floor and they actually cause more trouble. So you're losing credibility. So main suggestion here is if you're going cybersecurity into the OT space, really bring people to understand both cybersecurity and OT. And that brings back to one of the first things we, we spoke about is you need people that really understand both fields. Otherwise, you can cause the contrary effect. I mean, to lose credibility on the people who have to be your sponsors. I mean, the OT people, the engineers, you have to convince that cybersecurity is very important to them as some other attribute of the process. You know, there were two statistics in this area, one encouraging and one not. And I'm curious what you're going to say about the one that, that I thought was disturbing. You know, 67% of the organizations are carrying out reviews on newly introduced equipment, equipment profiles. Obviously, you can go up some more, but that's obviously a, a large chunk are saying we realize that we introduce new stuff. We, you know, we've got to do a review and look at it from a security perspective. But only 30, less than 30% of respondents requested ISO certificates or IEC compliance. Yes, it's interesting. I think it's a thing of a maturity. If you want five years to the past. You didn't find yet companies that were doing risk assessment that had a cybersecurity component. Basically, it did risk assessment for new equipment for the manufacturing floor, for example, or the physical processes. But those assessments did include cybersecurity. I think it's very good news that we're seeing today that risk assessments are actually including cybersecurity. You don't have vendors, you know, very well no vendors, and I don't want to mention one, to, to do another this advertisement for them, but you have very well-known vendors that are including cybersecurity when they introduce new equipment by, by themselves, uh, proactively. That's very good news. In terms of specific certificates, I think it's a thing of maturity. We're likely to see more of this in the future. We're seeing the stages where, uh, you know, introducing cyber in the risk assessment of the introduction of new technologies has been accepted. But my feeling is that we'll see more of that in the future and we'll have companies requesting specific certificates before they introduce new technology on the floor. Maturity of the industry, maturity of our practices, maturity of individual companies, it all traces to this, right? We've, we just, we're, we've been in such an immature state and some of these things are, you know, are starting to happen, which is good. I was excited. I, I suppose you're right. It's not surprising that it's less than 30% still, but probably not that long ago it would have been, I don't know when it was zero, but it wasn't that long ago. I guess we'll measure it as, as the glass half full. It's, we're making progress, which is good. Budgets are certainly increasing. I think we knew that, but it was uh, interesting to see some of the sub-details 
greater than 51% said they are rising. The largest group of that said they're rising. The largest group of respondents that said it's increasing had growing by over 30% year on year, so over the previous year. So that's interesting. That's a you know, substantial uh, increase. The highest increases were spent on security technology solutions. So going back to our human workforce problems, they weren't spent on training, but they were spent on technology solutions. The organizations that had less than a 30% increase, so they had an increase, but it was in the smaller category. Instead of technology solutions, they spent more uh, on patch and vulnerability management. So do you think, is there any insight? Uh, you know, I, I personally am not yes. asking yes. why that would be. I would like to bring back a metaphor you introduced, Derek, which is the Maslow pyramid. Okay, so if you have a lot of money, you're likely to go for the, you know, the finest tools and technologies to fight cyber risk. But if you don't, you're going to likely to go for the more basic stuff. So it doesn't make much sense to bring, you know, a state-of-the-art monitoring OT cybersecurity solution if you don't have patch management in place or if you still have vulnerabilities in your devices. What is here is basically the companies that have a higher budget, of course, they are addressing the patch management of vulnerability management. They are also going higher. They're going for specific OT monitoring solutions. There are quite a few that are very well known. I don't want to mention any of them, but they're very well known, very well positioned. And the others are basically solving the basic stuff, which is sits, as you mentioned before, on the bottom of the pyramid of needs. Uh, it's basically common sense. You solve the basic stuff first, and then you go into more sophisticated solution. That's, I think, basically it. Anyway, um, as I mentioned before, I think if you go into a, a maturity journey, you want to increase your maturity, you have to do that in a top-down and bottom-up fashion. You design your future state, you design your, you redesign your network, you work on segmentation, but at the same time, and as you fix you know, vulnerability and patch management and the basic stuff and obsolescency, you have to think of putting some monitoring technology in place because it's going to take some time to fix all the stuff. And in the meanwhile, you had to gain visibility on your infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, if you can't see it, you can't know it, right? You don't measure yeah. it. You can't, yeah, you can't do anything about it. So I, I, I think that's true. You know, sadly, uh, in the, I've had some exposure in the industry to people who said, I don't want to do monitoring because it'll tell me about a problem, but I don't want the people to fix it. <laughs> and it creates liability for me to know there's a problem but not be able to fix it. What do you say to that? Well, that's um, what I mentioned before. Uh, that's basically the, the security by obscurity component. You're, you know you're a mess. And sometimes when we go to these companies and we speak with the automation people and the cybersecurity people, they say, hey, I don't want to do an assessment because I already know I'm, I'm in a bad state. That's not really a valid answer because you know you're a mess or you think you're a mess. Maybe you're not that a mess, but you know that you are unmature. Unless you put some additional insight into that maturity, you're not going to solve this. In the end of the day, the attackers are becoming more sophisticated. The report gave some pointers to that is still ranked highly on traditional methods of uh, attack vectors, USB devices, 35% email, such as phishing, ransomware is on the rise, but people indicated that there was more sophistication, you know, starting to occur. And that seems to be mirrored in the, you know, in the, in the media, in the marketplace for those things that are reported, most go unreported, as we know. Uh, is that what you're seeing as well, that the, the old, kind of the old, very rudimentary attacks that these environments were subjected to not long ago? Some of them now are not rudimentary, and they are sophisticated, and they're being tailor-made for these environments. Yeah, you're bringing a very interesting point here, Derek. Actually, what we're seeing in most of our clients is that 
The typical attack vectors are the traditional ones, such as ransomware, phishing, you know, USB devices porting some malware. The interesting thing is that as time goes by, we're finding more and more cases of sophisticated attacks. Some of them are state sponsored. You may have heard the news about cases in, in Ukraine, for example, but so many others. And the interesting thing is companies are now in a unique position to rise the level of their defense while the threat is still a common threat. As time goes by, we'll see threats becoming more sophisticated. And if you don't leverage the time you have now to upgrade your defenses, it may be too late in the future. The other interesting thing related to what you just said is that to build such a sophisticated malware or threat, you need investment. So when we speak of this kind of attacks, we're not speaking of casual hackers, you know, coding and malware in their garage. We're speaking of specific groups that are coding malware. They have access to OT environments. They have access to OT devices. They can test that malware in those devices. And definitely, that's not a casual hacker. That's typically crime group or that's a state-sponsored attack. So this is becoming very serious. So again, I want to remark that companies have a unique opportunity to upgrade their defenses while it's not that serious yet, because in a few years, it would be much worse, definitely. I agree, of course, with everything you've shared and it certainly echoes everything I've seen. I remember when ransomware was a, you know, becoming popular, but was it not long ago, was an IT information systems problem. We're going to steal or hold all this data ransom. But now we're seeing uh, more and more, we're going to hold your operational technology, the actual functioning, whether you're stamping something out or running pumps and valves, we're going to gum that up. And every minute that you're not operational, it's going to cost you money, which, of course, all these organizations know exactly what their downtime costs them. And so it's not holding data or information ransom. It's holding being able to do what you do ransom. And and are you seeing more of that? I mean, so there's been some media, obviously, covering a few of those instances. But my guess is we're going to see a lot more of that. It's an easy target, like you said, for organized crime, for, for criminal elements to make money. It is actually, sometimes when we speak about ransomware in OT environments, they say, hey, I can't have a ransom infecting my VLC. Of course not. Sometimes you have a ransomware infecting your VLC, but you're going to have, for example, a ransomware infecting your monitoring consoles. So you have your process going on, but you have no visibility over the process, which is almost as bad as the disruption of the process. So it's really becoming very serious. With a recently a tabletop exercises, with a, a tabletop exercise with a top executives from an energy company and actually were quite concerned about this because they said, if we look visibility, it's actually that I have no operation at all because we don't have control over that operation. So definitely something very, very serious. Well, Walter, I think we are running out of time and we, we uh, with uh, as long a report, I think we were 60 pages uh, for this first report. There's many things we could uh, we could pick out. I welcome people to look at it. Anything, any con- closing comments you'd like to make, Walter, uh, as we wrap up? Oh, yes. I'm trying to link some of the things we were mentioning while we were speaking. We spoke about training. We spoke about maturity. We spoke about the increasing sophistication of threats that we find in the market. Final uh, suggestion to companies that are hearing this podcast we're doing together, Derek, is to leverage the unique time we have now. Uh, Threats are going to become more sophisticated and serious in the future. When we spoke about cloud, I said that not every company is now leveraging the use of the cloud for their industrial environment. That will happen. As you move into IoT and iPhone 4.0, you're going to leverage the cloud. So as you use more sophisticated technology, your attack surface, your risk surface will become wider. So this is the time 
to start building your this cybersecurity program. You start to start investing not only in security technologies, but also investing in your people to introduce your CISO, to build a bridge between your CISO, your cybersecurity department, and your automation department, to uh, train your own people in cybersecurity, to take this seriously and not just apply the same techniques you use in IT successfully to OT, but rather use custom techniques for OT. So we are going through a unique time. I think it's the right time to start building this, to start building your maturity. So you will be much more prepared when you really want to go full-blown to IoT or Eastern 5.0. Thank you, Walter. You know, this report and the research prior to the report was a, a huge work effort, probably bigger than we all thought. And I cannot thank you and many members of the KPMG team around the globe that helped from inception, just when it was a concept, all the way through all the phases and to, to be able to produce this report today. Um, it wouldn't have been possible without you guys. It was a pleasure to work with you. We worked through any of the hiccups that came along the way. It was really, uh, it, was, it was an amazing thing. I've done a lot of projects with a lot of companies and the good they are, the more global they are, sometimes that doesn't uh, you know, go as smoothly. And it was, uh, it was amazing to, to do this with you. And we're, we're grateful. And I hope the community is, is grateful that you guys helped us bring this to the marketplace. Well, you're welcome. We're thankful to Joba who worked with you on, on this. I think it's a very valuable resources, resource either for executives, automation people, and to CISOs who have to, you know, go into the OT space to protect the wider company. So thank you very much. I'm really honored to collaborate with you in this and to, you know, bring this podcast together to our clients and to our audiences. Well, fantastic. I also want to thank uh, Airbus Cybersecurity, Palo Alto Networks, Fortinet and Waterfall Security Solutions who joined the uh, the team and also pitched in and uh, did edits and reviews and all the sorts of things. And last but certainly not least, uh, Bank Gregory Brown, uh, the director of the research project and end of the report. Of all the people involved in this, Bank spent I, I don't know how many hours on this and reading everything over and over and, and looking for things that needed to be fixed or, or, or made better. And uh, so to the team, truly an industry team, he and I both are, are grateful, and uh, we're looking forward to We've already started working on the next one. If, uh, if any listeners want to get involved, uh, reach out now because we're working on the 2021 report, and uh, we're just going to make it better and, and, and a more valuable tool uh, every year to come. So thank you, everybody, and thank you, Walter. 